Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Sunny skies. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, we'll hear about challenges and resources for those in recovery and coping with substance abuse during this COVID-19 pandemic. Once we had the stay-at-home order, it got pretty scary. And actually, I've been in recovery 30 years, and I went to my first virtual 12-step meeting. That conversation in just a moment. But first, as we always do, the latest information as it relates to the coronavirus here in Georgia. As of today, there are 30,526 COVID cases. The number of deaths statewide is reported to be 1,302, and there are 5,600 and 99 hospitalized. Now, that's all according to the Georgia Department of Public Health, again, as of 11 a.m. today. Meanwhile, in DeKalb County, there are plans to give out COVID-19 care kits, but to specific neighborhoods. Well, joining me now with more is DeKalb County CEO Michael Thurman. CEO Thurman, as always, thank you for taking the time. Delighted to be with you. You know, you've been an elected official for a long time. We've had so many conversations about everything from the economy to the Great Recession. But can you even reflect on this extraordinary time? That's the word, extraordinary, unprecedented. Uh, I've been through the Great Recession and hurricanes and tornadoes and 9-11, but this is the perfect storm of crises, a health and an economic crisis, uh, you know, boiled and combined together that's creating pain and death and suffering all across this nation, really across the world. You know, DeKalb County, while second in the state with confirmed coronavirus cases, fifth statewide in deaths. And before we get into the COVID care kits, um, how is the County Board of Health responding to help DeKalb residents? And and what initiatives are you tasking them with? Well, Dr. Elizabeth Ford is doing a phenomenal job uh, leading our DeKalb Board of Health. Uh, She's been a constant source of just intelligence and understanding and information and uh, providing leadership. She led the effort uh, earlier this week on Monday uh, at a local church in DeKalb County. Over 500 people were tested for the virus. She's been a constant uh, voice and presence in the media, educating, informing, and providing comfort to people who are going through this terrible crisis. So we wouldn't be where we are. Uh, without her. You mentioned we have the second highest number of uh, cases, but uh, of course one death is too many, but mm-hmm. uh, just the fifth highest number of deaths and the second lowest rate of death in the state of Georgia. You know, you and I have had conversations about inequity, inequality, and now with this pandemic, 
there seems to be more conversations about how this pandemic really is exposing at a greater level when it comes to uh, certain populations, certain demographics, just needing access, whether it's to, to proper health care, which obviously involves the testing, but all these other tentacles tied to quality of life. What do you make of that? Well, you make a good point. One thing I'd like to emphasize, there's no uh, genetic connection between African-Americans and uh, becoming infected by COVID-19. It's not genetic, Mm -hmm. but there are underlying factors that you just mentioned, uh, lack or access to quality health care, as well as pre-existing conditions such as diabetes and and, uh, uh, obesity, but also more significant is that African-Americans tend to hold these public facing jobs, mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly, people who have a high risk of being exposed and consequently because there's a desire and need to generate income to support families, they cannot shelter in place. Consequently, they increase their probability of becoming infected. You declared a state of an emergency for the county. We'll talk about the governor a little bit later uh, in this conversation, but what will you follow in terms of making a decision to lift any restrictions that you all are able to enforce? Well, follow the scientists and, and the medical professionals who are best positioned and best qualified uh, to make uh, policy decisions and give direction. This is not a political exercise. And if I'm going to err, I will err on the side of protecting and preserving the health and life of the citizens of DeKalb County, Georgia. Uh, We'll continue to monitor the situation. It changes on a daily, if not hourly basis. But at the end of the day, uh, if there will be a criticism of this administration, it would be that we erred on the side of keeping people safe. And from a financial standpoint, obviously no county, no state, nobody could account for having a budget line item to deal with the pandemic. Uh, How... Fiscally, what's the health of DeKalb County with all the other resources you have to put toward addressing COVID-19? There will be financial impacts because the economy has been just devastated. When 20 million Americans lose their job, uh, that's going to have an impact. The good news is that in my 2020 budget, we created a budget based on an expectation that we would experience a severe recession Mm -hmm. uh, during this calendar year. So we did not hire any new jobs, no new programs. Uh, We had a bare bones budget. And so consequently, where we are right now, we're not surprised. Now, I didn't expect it would be the result of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we were fully aware and had clearly predicted that we would be in a recession in 2020. So, CEO Thurman, let's talk about those COVID-19 care kits. First of all, what's in these kits? Uh, The kits contain two non-surgical masks, disposable, as well as a two-ounce bottle of uh, sanitizer, hand sanitizer, as well as information on how uh, detecting and protecting yourself against COVID-19 and what do you do if you think you have developed symptoms or you may become infected, as well as information on responding to census questionnaires that are being collected as we speak. But more than that, it's a message. The first message is that we want every citizen to know that we care. And it's a recognition, Rose, that, you know, we can say wear a mask, but we often overlook the fact that there are some people who live in neighborhoods where, where can you buy one? 
uh, if you had the resources to do it. Sanitizer, very difficult to come by. Masks are difficult to come by. And then still, even with stimulus check, there are people who have to make a conscious decision as to whether invest in masks or buy bread or, or, or maintain shelter. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is be proactive as much as we can to help prevent the spread of this deadly disease. And you all are focusing on some specific neighborhoods. Yes, Dr. Ford provided us with information through the Board of Health where we can look at zip codes and see those zip codes that have been most impacted uh, by the disease where we've had the largest number of confirmed cases. So we are, even today, on Wednesday and then again on, on Saturday, we are out in those communities uh, passing out masks, uh, talking to people, helping them to better understand why they need to protect themselves and their families. How many COVID care kits will y'all have to distribute? Well, last Saturday, on the first day of distribution, we distributed 2,000. Today, we'll distribute 1,000 and 2,000 on Saturday. We will, over the next six weeks, distribute more than 10,000 uh, COVID care kits uh, throughout the Cab County, Georgia. And CEO Thurman, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, of course, has been criticized for the decision allowing some Georgia businesses to open. And now all this comes as there's a projected number of cases is expected to drastically increase. Were you able to have any conversation with the governor about your concerns as it relates to the Cab County and those neighborhoods we just talked about? Uh, no. And uh, let me say this, bro. I hope and pray the governor made the right decision. I'm not going to sit here and hope uh, uh, for any political, any other reason that somehow uh, his decision will not uh, net a more healthier, safer state. But as a leader of a county of 750,000 people, a county that has the second highest number of infections as I speak today, I can't operate and lead the county based on hope. What we're going to do is plan and conduct ourselves with an expectation of a worst case scenario. Because if in fact there's a second wave or additional spike of cases in two or three weeks, it'll be too late to respond at that point. So we're being, once again, proactive and aggressive with the expectation that this disease is not going to leave us to go anywhere. And matter of fact, that's what the medical practitioners and the scientists are saying. COVID-19 will be with us. There's a projection that it will be back in the fall. And anyone who thinks that this is over uh, is deluded and totally confused about the realities on the ground, not just in the camp, but in Georgia and across the nation. To Cab County CEO Michael Thurman, as always, I appreciate you taking the time. Y'all stay safe over there. All right, you be safe, and thank you so much for helping to educate and inform and help people stay safe and healthy. All right, take care now. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Addiction has been called a disease of isolation. Right now, 19.7 American adults have dealt with some sort of alcohol or drug addiction. Now, that's according to the latest data from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. And the isolation I just talked about it's now considered one reason why many addiction experts believe this pandemic makes it more difficult for those seeking counseling or even continuing treatment with accessible pathways. Well, joining me now to discuss all of this is Neil Campbell, 
the executive director of the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse, and Beverly Raglan, manager of the CARES Warm Line. That's a hotline for those seeking support. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. You know, there was a line from the National Institute on Drug Abuse. I'm going to quote it here. It says, quote, the COVID-19 pandemic presents unique challenges for people with substance use disorders and in recovery. And so, Neil, I'll start with you. For our listeners who may not quite understand, how true is that statement? That statement is incredibly true, and it's borne out by the data we're seeing over and over in our state. Um, We often say that the opposite of addiction is human connection. And we have had sort of lost the ability to connect. Um, You know, when we were calling it initially, we needed the social distance. That was just very much anathema to what we usually say as people in recovery. I'm I'm a person in long-term recovery, and I know I get a lot of support from my peers who are also in recovery, who have a different perspective that they can kind of work with me on. And once we had the stay at home order, it got pretty scary. And actually I've been in recovery 30 years and I went to my first virtual 12 step meeting and that helped a whole lot. So when we talk about isolation, you know, addiction and mental illness are very isolating health conditions. And it it just, it became pretty scary pretty quickly. Neil, let me stay with you for a moment. You talked about that virtual meeting. Did you have the same feeling that same support, although you all weren't together in the same room, it was a virtual environment. Was there still some of that same feeling of support? It was 100%. And I'm kind of an old school recovery person. And I never thought I would do a virtual meeting. And it really did help to be able to see and hear. And there were people from all over the country on the initial call that I did. And it was it was great. So, you know, I don't think anything quite takes the place of a hug because we're huggers in the recovery community too but it certainly felt like I was getting a lot of virtual hugs that day and so that helped me encourage other people to to hang you know to, to, to get connected virtually as well. Beverly let me let me bring you into the conversation this fact that the COVID-19 pandemic will present unique challenges for people with substance use disorders and in recovery what do you want folks to know about that? Well, one of the most important things is, as Neil said, connection is truly the opposite of addiction. And what we found is that because of the pandemic and because of the challenges with substance use disorder and mental illness, it is so important that we stay connected, whether it's virtually or in person. And one of the things that we do at the Georgia Council is we've made available an opportunity to have two virtual recovery meetings daily. And also we have the CARES warm line, which is available for peers to call in and connect with um, recovery coaches that have lived experience Mm -hmm. that can encourage and support peers as they're going through the challenges, not just with their substance use disorder, but also with the challenges of the pandemic and the isolation and the fear of this new normal for us. So um, it's really important to understand that there's support out there and the important thing is that we have to get the word out to let everyone know that we do have support available through the Georgia Council and through a lot of other agencies. So. Um, Again, we do have the CARES warm line that's available from 8.30 to 11.30 at night, 8.30 in the morning to 11.30 at night, and it's 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. And it's also important to know that through 
our recovery initiatives is we embrace all pathways to recovery. So it doesn't matter whether you like walking in the park or if you do 12 step meetings or you go to church, there's a recovery coach that will not judge you. There'll be no stigma attached to it. And there's support and there's a mutuality. Um, because we are peers, because we have that lived experience, mm -hmm. then we give support, but we also get support. So Beverly, let me stay with you for a moment. You all have seen an increase in folks either seeking continued just resources higher than the normal volume that you all get. Well, um, first of all, I want to say it's a warm line, and that's really an important distinction. Okay. Um, I'm being a crisis line and do is we have recovery coaches that are skilled with adverting any type of crisis or need for a hotline. Um, and yes, our call volume has most certainly increased and the complexity and the amount of time that is needed to spend with the peers has increased. But one of the other opportunities that we give is we have what we call an assertive telephone outreach where um, peers that would like to have the opportunity can receive a weekly call for um, a recovery coach to support them in their recovery journey. And um, we found that that is also received very well. And the peers that are part of that program are looking forward to that check-in. Um, again, especially now during the time of the pandemic when the call volume has increased and there's not the availability of in-person contact. So now the virtual contact is so much more important. Um, and the important thing also is that it's an opportunity for peers not just to talk about challenges, mm -hmm. but we share about triumphs and things that are going well. And also, I could talk about it forever. Um, we not only take calls for those that are in recovery, but family members can call mm -hmm. or the allies can also call and talk to a recovery coach to support any type of recovery experience that they're having. I'm glad that you brought that up, and I'm going to give this question to Neil, but you can certainly chime in on. Beverly talked about allies and support, and Neil, for anyone listening who might be a family member or, or just a good friend to someone who is in recovery or, or seeking treatment, what do you want them to know about the importance of being an ally during this time? Yeah, that's a, a great question, and we do take a lot of calls from family members who are just, they're just kind of flummoxed. They don't know what else to do, so we would say, you know, call the warm line. You can actually, it's really important for a family member to, first of all, take care of themselves. They're having emotional reactions to not just their loved one having a substance use disorder or a risky substance use, but they're having emotional reactions to this COVID. We all are, mm -hmm. so you can call and get support, too, so it's very important to um, not shame or blame. And we, it's, you know, we're trying to get away from the stigma of addiction and substance use disorders and, and ask people to, you know, just try to come forward with a compassionate heart to say this person is involved in behaviors, you know, their behavioral priorities are different, but what's going on in their brain is very much disease-like. So if you can think of someone as struggling with a health issue as opposed to this is a moral issue and they're just a weak person or something like that, some of the old school ways of thinking, that really helps. So we try to take away the shame and the blame of people who are struggling and, and to open up our hearts. One of our mottos here at the council is to lead with love. Mm -hmm. And we, because we've been through it before, we know that 
you know, the more shame that's there that's heaped on top of us, we just feel worse. And then that becomes sort of a, a cycle of, okay, well, I'm going to use because I feel bad because I can't feel good about myself. So having that love, having the compassion, and also first and foremost that family members and other allies are getting the support that they need. Beverly, what do you want to add to the importance of allies during this time? Well, it certainly is important for our allies to be able to call because oftentimes um, you just don't know what to do when someone in your family is having challenges with substance use or mental illness. And one of the important things that the recovery coaches do is they share their lived experience talking about how their families endured and supported them with love during that time as opposed to oftentimes the stigma and the rejection, which is not in conducive to, to quality long-term recovery. So it's so important that the family members, the allies, and the community embrace um, recovery as opposed to the stigma that's assigned to substance use disorder or that they don't know how to speak recovery language. And that's so important at, and our, at, at the Georgia Council that we teach um, our community allies to speak with recovery language as opposed to talking about someone who's an addict. We mm -hmm. talk about who may have a substance use disorder or that we don't say, um, I got clean. We say that somebody is in recovery because then we don't want anyone to think that they were ever dirty. So that's one of the important things that we do is that we encourage allies to um, we advocate with the allies and we encourage them to speak the language that's um, conducive to quality recovery. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the challenges and resources for those in recovery or coping with substance abuse disorder during this COVID-19 pandemic. And my, my guests are Neil Campbell, the executive director of the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse, and Beverly Raglan, manager of the CARES Warm Line. Neil, Beverly talked about the importance of your counselors and some people being able to share their stories. Is there a story that you share quite often? I do. I, you know, I'm in, I'm in recovery. I'm, I'm someone who is, uh, who, who got the benefit of recovery, you know, 30 years ago when I was a 30 year old young woman and I was pretty sick. So I share my story a lot with folks who ask for it, but mostly we listen, mm -hmm. Rose. I mean, we find that people don't want to be fixed. They call our support line or they, you know, if they come to one of our recovery groups when this COVID-19 is over, um, you know, we don't try to fix anybody. We, we recognize that people just want to be heard that sometimes, you know, and I know that was in my personal experience. It wasn't about, wasn't a broken person. I just had things I needed to say or needed to figure out for myself. And, uh, you know, I think that's the best thing that we can do as allies for recovery and listen to the stories. Some of the stories that are out there are just phenomenal. We're starting to hear, you know, people taking care of each other in this, in this, you know, in this pandemic and, and doing amazing things for each other. And so the recovery community has a long tradition of supporting each other, of reaching out, of giving back and telling stories. And that's really what we're all about. Neil, I want to shift to talking about logistics here, because like with any other organization or agency, you know, we've all had to shift into another mode because of the shelter in place orders. But you all have had to shift to create more online resources. And were you all prepared to do it? Yes, well, we we got prepared quickly. Um, we, when the governor uh, Governor Kemp issued his stay at home order, we we told staff take care of yourselves. You know, we have, we do have some staff with chronic health conditions, or we have staff with small children. So we we pivoted. It was like you know really quickly to working from home. 
we let our recovery coaches up in, uh, we have uh, uh, eight recovery coaches up in Northeast Georgia that work in the emergency department and in the neonatal intensive care unit. And they stayed on a little bit longer because they had the protocols, they had some PPE, but after about a week and a half, we, we pulled them out of the hospital too. And uh, we, we pulled them out kicking and screaming because they didn't want to go. They, they know that they, ha they are a valuable resource, but we were able to work with the hospital staff and get connected uh, by phone. And so we're still doing check-ins with people who overdose in the state, in the emergency department or women who are having babies with neonatal abstinence syndrome. We're still connecting with them, but it's all online or um, by telephone. Let me ask you this, oh, or by telephone, because my next question was for some folks who may have trouble accessing the internet and also for folks who might be unsheltered, uh, are you able to reach folks? It's been rough, and that's been the hardest part for our coaches. We have our coaches who go out to where they know people without a home are, and they'll they'll reach out, they'll give their cards, they'll give food, they, and they cannot do that right now, and that's just about killing them. And I want to mention, you're exactly right about people without a phone, or they may have a phone, but they have to use it for essential services, you know, because they don't have the minutes or they don't have the bandwidth in, in rural Georgia. That's that's a fear that we have. These folks are not getting connected, and so we're 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 afraid that there's going to be once this is over, we're going to start seeing that we really had some devastation because the epidemic around substance use disorder, around opiates, around methamphetamine did not stop just because of the COVID virus. People are out there still struggling, and I don't even think I think we're going to it's going to take a while to understand what that impact has been. Well, Neil, what will you follow in terms of making, and do, would you make the decision on when you all could return to your typical resources and, and initiatives and activities that you all provide for folks? I mean, will you follow the governor, or, or what will be that deciding factor? We are listening, myself and my board and my executive team are listening to the health experts, and when they say it's time to to open up, we'll open up. Um, you know, we do a lot of training and education. We've got pretty darn good at doing it online, doing it virtually, but we miss being interactive. Again, the nature of, of helping people with a substance use disorder is, is human interaction, and we haven't been able to do that. So we will listen to the CDC, the health experts. We'll make sure that our staff safety is first. As we wrap up, what is that final message that you all want to leave our listeners with as it relates to this, uh, particularly if there's someone who's struggling with a substance abuse disorder or, or any type of uh, addiction, what do you want folks to know? We want folks to know that there is hope and that if you can't see the hope or feel the hope on your own, please reach out to one of us on the CARES Warm Line or on one of our virtual meetings, and we'll hold that hope for you until you can hold it yourself. To hang in there, you can do this. People come back from, from this every single day, and we're there for you. And Beverly, I'll give you the last word. Absolutely. On the CARES Warm Line, it's really important that the recovery, to know that the recovery coaches, they listen, they offer encouragement, they validate feelings, and they empathize with the peers that call in. And it's so important to know that there is a resource available for support um, that does not judge, there's no stigma attached, and it's free. And it's available to anyone that wants to call in and to get support in the recovery journey. And Beverly, if you don't mind, if you could give that warm that CARES warm line number? Absolutely. The number is 844-326-5400. 844 
326-5400. It's 365 days a year from 8.30 in the morning to um, 11 p.m. at night. Beverly Ragland, manager of the CARES Warm Line, and also I was joined by Neil Campbell, the executive director of the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good information, and we'll also put that number on our website as well. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. It was an honor. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. On Monday, Georgia Chief Justice Harold Melton extended the statewide judicial emergency order to June 12th. Now, the order calls on courts across the state to pause what we call non-essential services to stop the spread of COVID-19. But as we've discussed on the program, eviction filings are still taking place. Housing advocates and experts worry that after the courts open back up, those filings will lead to thousands of Georgians being evicted. When that ends and and we lift some social distancing and lift some severe restrictions, the rent is still going to be due. But now three months of rent will be due. And we need basically funding to provide landlords with some of that money to allow to basically with an agreement that they won't evict their tenant after the moratorium's lifted. Now, that was Georgia State University professor Dan Immergluck on an earlier edition of the program. You know, housing instability can have long-term effects, and that includes the emotional toll of having to give up a pet. And this is where Pause Between Homes is trying to help. And joining me from the organization, Cole Thaler, co-founder of Pause Between Homes. Cole, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Rose. Well, first, I love the, the name of the organization, Pause Between Homes. Did you come up with that? I did, actually. Uh, Of course, it's a pun on pause. And I thought of that because, you know, when someone doesn't have a job, we say that uh, that they are between jobs. Mm -hmm. And when someone is uh, doesn't have a home, we might say that they're between homes and the pets that are also the victims of eviction and housing loss. Sometimes they just need a pause between homes so that they can be reunited with their owners once their owners find mm-hmm. new stable housing. I want to get your response to what we just heard from Professor Immergluck. Do you agree that it's likely we'll probably see a lot more evictions once the courts open back up? Filing an eviction is one thing, but then the process of being evicted. Um, your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with Professor Immergluck. I think he's absolutely right that, unfortunately, we are in uh, a quiet moment before a tremendous storm or really avalanche of evictions in Georgia and Atlanta specifically. All of the evictions that are being filed in Fulton County are going to be heard by the court. 
And because so many of them are simply based on a tenant's inability to pay rent, uh, which is not, uh, hardship is not a, a legal defense to an mm -hmm. eviction, I'm afraid, uh, I'm afraid that what we're going to see is a huge spike in people losing their housing uh, because of, uh, uh, as soon as the courts reopen. And Cole, I'd like to know, are you hearing stories of, although the courts are, are not, you know, hearing these eviction uh, cases, but are you hearing stories that landlords are trying to do self-evictions? Unfortunately, yes. So in my day job, when I'm not working with Pause Between Homes, I'm a staff attorney with the Atlanta Volunteer Lawyers Foundation. And we are hearing an increasing number of calls from tenants who have been illegally evicted, meaning that their landlords have changed the locks on their homes or cut off utilities in an effort to get the tenant to get out or even thrown all their belongings outside on the lawn um, or landlords who are threatening to do that if the tenant doesn't get out right away. So unfortunately, I think landlords, some landlords are starting to lose patience as this uh, delay and moratorium drags on and some of them are taking matters into their own hands. Cole, that is illegal, correct? I mean, that is highly illegal very illegal and the landlords are liable for the damages that they cause to their tenants. So unfortunately, the landlords will just have to wait for the courts to reopen if they want to follow the law. Have you all seen an increase in calls, not only with you know, the work you do with the Atlanta Volunteers Lawyers Foundation, but I imagine also just with pause between homes, the call volume has increased during this pandemic. It has, but Rose, I really think that just like the evictions are going to spike when the courts reopen, that is when the calls to pause between homes will really spike. Right now, people are not being evicted through the courts. Mm -hmm. uh, that's coming. And so as soon as the courts reopen and those evictions start working their way through the system and people actually do start getting put out in droves, I am anticipating that the demand for help uh, to pa for pause between homes help will skyrocket as well. And that's when the families that are quickly having to figure out where they're going to go will realize that they can't take their pets with them in a homeless shelter. Or if they're living in their car, they really can't keep their pet with them. Or in an extended stay motel, of course, pets are, are generally not welcome. So that is when the need for our help, for Pause Between Homes help, is really going to spike. When did you launch Pause Between Homes? And I imagine it's because of your work with the Volunteer Lawyers Foundation, because you all are a fairly new organization. We are. So the, my work as a housing rights attorney with AVLF is partly what helped me realize the need for an organization like Pause Between Homes. And I've been involved in animal rescue work for years and years in my, in my off time, in my spare time. Uh, and it was late 2018 that I had a light bulb moment and realized that there was a big hole in the Atlanta safety net for the pet victims of eviction, the animal victims of eviction. Uh, there's a wonderful organization in town called Ahimsa House that provides temporary foster homes to the pets of domestic violence survivors while they're getting restabilized. Mm -hmm. 
but I realized that there wasn't a comparable organization for people who were being evicted or foreclosed on or kicked out or just simply losing their housing. Um, and so I reached out to Ahimsa House and it turns out that a bunch of animal welfare advocates in the city had been having the same thought that I had been having around the same time, which is that there's a real gap here. So a bunch of us came together who are representatives from different animal welfare organizations in the city. And we started meeting in early 2019 and planted the seeds of Pause Between Homes then. We spent the entire year of 2019 laying the groundwork for Pause Between Homes. We developed policies and contracts and written bylaws. We became uh, an incorporated nonprofit. We got our 501c3 status. We became a licensed animal rescue, which we had to do in order to put pets into foster homes. Mm -hmm. And we started our fundraising. And so we officially launched uh, our, our services to clients at the very beginning of 2020. Of course, we had no idea uh, what was coming in terms of the pandemic, but, um, but I think it's timely that, that we are here and able to serve in these times. Cole, can you take me back to that very first pet that you were able to, or pets that you were able to place in, I guess, foster care in a sense, huh? Right, exactly. Yes, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, the first uh, dogs that we were able to assist through Paws Between Homes, it was a pair of dogs that belonged to a young veteran, uh, a Marine Corps veteran, who had come to Atlanta because uh, he thought there was going to be a job for him. He had been promised a job. The job didn't work out, and he found himself living in his truck with his two dogs. Uh, while he was living in his truck and was parked somewhere, his window got smashed. And so he had a blanket, he tacked up a blanket over the window of his truck. Mind you, this is in early January mm -hmm. and it was quite bitterly cold out. Um, and then to make matters even worse, um, he himself got injured and needed to go into the hospital for what he thought might be an extended stay. And he knew he couldn't leave his dogs in the truck uh, if he was in the hospital for potentially days or weeks. So he called around and called around and finally found his way to us. And it ended up being a very short-term foster. We took his dogs from him. I met up with him in a parking lot, uh, did the paperwork with him right there, took his two dogs with me and put them right into a foster home. Um, and luckily he was not, did not have to stay in the hospital for very long. Um, and we got his dogs back with him very soon. And he ended up going back home to Minneapolis, where he was from, and was able to reestablish himself there. So um, it was a very short-term uh, first experience for our organization, but he was just incredibly grateful to not have to worry about his two beautiful dogs, very sweet dogs that were his family, really, mm -hmm. uh, his only family in Atlanta, for sure. And he needed a safe place for them, and we were able to provide that. Wow. How many animals right now would you say you all have in, in foster care? At this point, we're about up to 20 or so, um, but there's there's really a constant flux. Uh, I'm happy to say that just over the past few days, two dogs, two separate dogs were able to reunite with their owners. Uh, one just last night, little Jack Russell Terrier was able to go back to his family once they, they found new housing. 
Um, but uh, after we chat, Rose, I have several calls to return um, <laughs> from people who are reaching out to us uh, looking for help. So it's, you know, just as some go home and reunite with their owners, new ones come in. The voice you hear is Cole Thaler, the co-founder of Pause Between Homes. And we're talking about how his organization is helping foster pets uh, whose owners they may be separated from due to housing instability. And Cole, uh, you mentioned that this this young man who was a veteran, uh, I imagine you folks from all walks of life, from different areas, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, you all are serving a lot of folks. That's right. Um, it, it definitely has been all different kinds, families, uh, older couples, um, young single adults, families with children um, who've reached out to us for help. Uh, we are at this point pretty narrowly focused on certain high poverty, high eviction zip codes mm -hmm. in Atlanta uh, because we wanted to start, uh, start out with a, a limited geographic footprint. We didn't want to overextend ourselves as a new organization. So we identified certain zip codes that we thought the need would be greatest in. But um, I can tell you that as soon as we set that rule, we started to break it because people began reaching out to us from Decatur and from Stone Mountain and from you know, different parts of the metro area. And it just became very difficult to say no. If we had an available foster home for that pet, um, we do our very best to assist that family. Well, Cole, and let's talk about the foster homes. Uh, do you all have any trouble trying to get people to be uh, foster pets? One of the great things, I guess, a silver lining maybe of this terrible pandemic that we're going through is all of the people who have been stepping up to help, to be helpers in this situation. So I will tell you that um, out of the many calls we've gotten since mid-March, quite a few of them have been from people offering to foster. Mm -hmm. I do think it helps that so many people are working from home these days um, and are, are at home all the time and are able to give uh, an animal the attention that they might not have been able to do when they were working outside the home. Uh, and people are really looking for ways to, um, to help their neighbors in these challenging times. And fostering a pet is a wonderful way to do it. So while we are always looking for more fosters and anyone who is listening, who is interested in fostering, I really encourage you to reach out to Pause Between Homes through our website or our Facebook page. Um, I will say that we have been very blessed with a number of foster offers over the last uh, couple of months. And Cole, I mean, we love our pets. They may not be dogs and cats. They may be guinea pigs or hamsters or birds or even horses. Do you get calls from people saying, hey, I even have a, a horse that I can't take care of? Are you... So far, we have only gotten calls from uh, owners with dogs and cats. And honestly, it's been mostly dogs. Having said that, if somebody does reach out to us with a, a different kind of pet, we will do our absolute best to accommodate um, their needs. I'm not quite sure where we would uh, place a, a horse, uh, but I know that uh, there are stables mm -hmm. around the metro Atlanta area, and I'm um, hopeful that we would be able to figure that out. Cole, what about an iguana? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've heard iguanas make good pets. So, you know, I'm sure we could find a foster who is interested in, in reptiles. 
But Cole, uh, as with any nonprofit and organization right now, funding is is obviously of importance too. How are y'all typically funded? Are you raising money like everybody else? Do you have a an angel donor out there as well? We are fundraising. Uh, we launched, so we decided that we needed to uh, fundraise some money before we officially opened our metaphorical doors to clients. And the number that we came up with was $10,000. So in 2019, we were able to reach that goal with the support of many, many individual donations. We did a GoFundMe campaign. We fundraised on Facebook. And, and we also got one grant that went a very uh, long way in helping us reach that goal. Mm -hmm. We are continuing to apply for grants. We just uh, submitted a grant application last week and have our fingers crossed for that. But our primary source of funding is individual donations from um, private citizens. Mm -hmm. And Cole, as we wrap up, if anyone wants more information about either seeking your services or they want to foster these pets, I guess they can just go online, huh? Yeah, the best way to contact us is either through our Facebook page, which is Pause Between Homes on Facebook. We also have a website, pausebetweenhomes.org. That's P-A-W-S, betweenhomes.org. And there's a contact button there as well. Cole Thaler is the co-founder of Pause Between Homes. Cole, thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you all for providing a service to folks in their time of need. Thanks for drawing attention to this issue, Rose. I appreciate it. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.